Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash of the Articulate Fly, back for another interview, and tonight we're joined by Andy Weiner, author of Down by the River. How's it going, Andy? Uh, Very well, thank you. Well, I'm glad you're joining us tonight, and before we get rolling, I want to give a shout out to this episode's sponsor. Uh, Tonight we're sponsored by the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival, and this coming year, they'll be their 20th year, and the event's going to be held January 11th and 12th. Uh, in Doswell, Virginia. And if you go to the events page at thearticulatefly.com, you can get all the details. Also, folks, we're in another big push for uh, for advertising. And if you like the podcast, it'd be really great if you could share it with a friend. Uh, give us a review in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice. Well, Andy, I ask all of my guests uh, to share their earliest fishing memory. I would say that it was probably when I was about six years old. That's when I first started fishing. Uh, my family, we lived in New York, and we would go up to Maine every summer for vacation. And we'd spend a couple of weeks up there. And every day, we would go out fishing in a boat a couple of times a day and fish off the dock. Um, and it just was something I fell in love with. My dad was a big fly, uh, big fisherman, and everyone in my family, my, my mom, my two sisters, We'd all go out in that boat. And actually, if I can share my saddest fishing memory, um, I'd be happy to do that. Um, it was on one of those those trips, and I think it was my ninth birthday, and I was given my own fishing rod for the first time and my own casting reel and a, a net. And in the boat, my dad hooked a fish, and I was super excited. And I said, it's a big one. Let me get the net. And I grabbed the net to net his fish, but let go of my rod, and it, went over the side of the boat and I looked at it go over and I said there it goes and my dad you know got down to his tidy whities and jumped over the side of the boat to try and get the rod and never did and I didn't get my own rod for a while after that um and I'll you know I'll never forget that just that feeling of seeing something I loved so much disappearing into a deep deep lake yeah no I can see that now it kind of makes me sick to my stomach to think about it (laughs) I know so, so when did you make the move to the dark side of fly fishing? Um, first time I fly fished was probably in the late eighties, early nineties. And to be honest, um, it isn't what most folks would consider fly fishing. I was on a trip to the Eastern Sierra with my wife and her, um, mother's boyfriend had some flies and he had a fishing rod and he had some bubbles and, um, he loaned this to me and we went up and I fished on some, some rivers up there, just, you know, stripping a, a woolly bugger and having a, a fly, a, a bubble up on top of the water, um, caught some fish and it had been a while since I'd fished and it kind of reminded me how much I loved it. And I ended up going to a, a sales conference in Vermont later that year and brought the, the rod with me and the flies and the bubbles. And a buddy of mine came out with me and he said, you know, you're not really fly fishing. And he said, you need to get yourself a rod and a reel, some waders, and I'll meet you in Montana, and I'll take you fly fishing. Um, and that was the, the trip I took later that year, the, the first time I went to Montana to fish. And it was the, uh, the start of a, a love of fly fishing for sure. Wow, that's fantastic. And as you got deeper and deeper into the sport, who were some of your mentors? You know that that friend was um, his name's John Daly. Um, he's a, a fellow book sales rep and 
in the back of my book, I give an acknowledgement to him actually kind of telling that story. Um, and he and I took several trips together. Um, the other would be my dad. I think that's probably the case for so many people. Um, from the time I was a kid fishing with him in Maine through the end of his life a couple of years ago, um, when he was living in North Carolina, we took tons of trips together. We uh, did deep sea fishing. We did trout fishing. We did bass fishing. Um, he lived in a house on a creek in North Carolina, and we would just go out on that dock and cast some stinky shrimp and catch all sorts of fish. And a couple of times before he passed away, uh, I hired a guide to go out on the Noose River in North Carolina um, and just had two really memorable trips with him. Um, it might have gotten to the point where I was as much of a mentor for him as he was for me because it was this shared love uh, for fishing in general, um, something we we just love to share. Well, that's fantastic. And I know you've spent your almost your entire professional career in the book publishing business. Where did your love for books come from? That would be my mom. Um, when I was a kid, she was she's always always had been a greater. She passed away last year herself. Um, and she was just a book reader. And I think in a way that very few parents are, she was so focused on getting her kids to read. She would make lists of books for us and take us to the library and we'd come home with a dozen books at a time. Um, and we just shared that love all, all of our lives. And she's really the person uh, who I can thank for having a career in the book business. She kind of paved the way for me, got me my first little jobs doing inventories and just working at a cash register at Christmas time at a bookstore and wrapping presents. Um, and my, my home is full of books that are inspired by, by her love of books as well. Wow. That's great. And who are some of your favorite authors? See, that's, I was looking at the list of questions you gave me. That's really the hardest question of all. Um, I'm just a, a passionate reader. Uh, a few people who would come to mind, um, Tom McGuane, who I know a lot of anglers read. Um, his, his fishing writing is great, but his his fiction is you know sort of unsurpassed. He's just a, a really fine writer. He actually lives in Montana in the um, which what river is that? The uh, the Boulder River Valley uh, south of Big Timber, and he's just a great angler himself. And I love Wallace Stegner, who, again, is a fine novelist, but wrote some incredible nonfiction about the West, um, which is one of my things I love to read about. Um, on a completely different vein, there's a writer named Renee Denfeld, who's a great friend of mine, who writes fiction, um, who really is one of the finest writers I've, I've ever read. Um, so if anybody wants to read some some dark and at the same time uplifting fiction. Renee is a, a, a really great writer. Um, another another friend who's a great writer is Walter Kern. And we're, we were talking earlier about Livingston, Montana. Uh, Walter is a, a resident of Livingston, and uh, I've fished with him a number of times. He was the person who introduced me to the Mother's Day Caddis Hatch, so I owe him tremendously, but his books are fantastic. He was the author of Up in the Air, which was made into the film with uh, George Clooney. That was such a, a popular film. So those are, those are a few, but I could go on and on. 
No, no, no. I get it. I, uh, I think I probably buy six books for every book that I read. So I'm, I need to live to be about 300 years old to work my way through the library and I need to stop buying books. Well, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> my living depends on it. Um, as somebody who works in publishing, I buy a lot of books, but I get a lot of free books as well. So I have those stacks that you have of things that need to be read, but maybe never will. Yeah, no, it's one of my quests. I'm always looking for uh, old and antique fly fishing books. I'm always rummaging around old bookstores looking for those. Um, that, that's kind of one of my collectible things. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the inspiration for Down by the River. I think that might go back to my, my history of fishing with my dad, even though the, the sort of parent is a mother and then a grandfather in the story. Um, it's been my experience that fishing with somebody in your family can be the most rewarding experience and, and something that's so great to, to share. Um, and I wanted to create a story where this boy was inspired and taught by you know, important people in his life. And there were earlier versions of the story where it was a, a mom and a dad. Um, but I loved the idea of a, a grandparent being a, a role model for a child and, and sharing his passion that he in fact had shared with his daughter and then passing it on to the next generation. Um, so I guess it's my love of fishing, my love of family and the the hope that other people would find that passion through a, a story. Sure. Cause I know you and I talked about this a little bit. Um, and I guess in our first phone call that you, you know, beyond that inspiration, you sort of have a broader purpose for the book too. Absolutely. Um, I worked for a year doing development for California Trout, which is a great nonprofit conservation organization here in California, and learned a lot about fundraising and a lot about um, the kind of help that nonprofits can can use. And as I've done exploration of the world of fly fishing and, and environmental organizations, as well as, as organizations that I knew about uh, before I wrote the book, um, one of my goals was be to be able to assist those organizations to raise money for the, the great work that they do. You know, and as you as I, and you and I discussed, some of them are straightforward conservation organizations like California Trout and Trout Unlimited and Fly Fishers International, different river organizations. And then there are these really phenomenal organizations like Casting for Recovery or the Mayfly, Mayfly Project or Project Healing Water Fly Fishing which use fly fishing as a, a tool to help people who, who need their assistance um, or just who, who need the uplifting experience of fly fishing to overcome trauma. Um, and they, they do such great work, and I'm just really proud to be able to help them either through sales of the book uh, and donations or donated signed copies of the book that they can raffle off. Um, and it's been a, a great success so far. And... I just hope to continue to do that and to, to grow the list of organizations that I can help. Yeah, no, and those are all great organizations, and that's really, really neat that you've done that. Um, I, I've been reading some of the previous interviews that you've done. I, I know that I, Down by the River was kind of more than 10 years kind of in its development. Um, what was responsible for such a long gestation period? You know, I think the bottom line might be that it wasn't good enough to publish previously. Um when I first wrote it, I took the time to 
send it to some folks on the Northern California Fly Fishing Board on, on the Internet and got a lot of feedback and thought I had a pretty good story. And I actually had two literary agents for it who circulated it to different publishers, and nobody was interested in publishing the book. And I showed it to an editor at the company that I work for. And really, it was more than 10 years. It was probably 14, 15 years altogether. Um, And I was really fortunate that there was an editor at the company whose family fishes. And she said, you know, I think that there is a story here. And if you're willing to work with me on it, I think we can make it into a publishable book. And even that process took probably a, a year altogether. Um, but she gave, gave me great feedback and gave me great ideas about how to improve the story. And, you know, for anybody who writes who has the the dream of having a book published, to remember the day where she sent me an email saying, I think this is it. I think the story is ready to, to take to the pub board and see if we can get it accepted. Um, it was just a, a huge, huge thrill. And the irony of she being my editor, I posted a picture of my family fishing at that lake in, in Maine on Instagram and tagged her in it because I kept tagging my editor so she could see what I was doing. And I mentioned the name of the lake, and it ends up that that's the lake where she and her family go fishing. So maybe it was meant to be, um, but it was just an incredible coincidence and you know, something that we, we share. Wow, that's amazing. And to help uh, my listeners understand, because I've interviewed um, several fly fishing authors, what's the creative process like writing a children's book versus writing um, adult nonfiction? For the kind of uh, book that I wrote, which is a children's picture book, Mm -hmm. and generally is about 32 to 40 pages, um, it certainly is a much shorter writing period. Um, than it would be for an adult book or even for, you know, a kid's novel um, or kid's nonfiction, which can be anywhere from a hundred to several hundred pages. Um, I think you, when you're writing a, a children's picture book, in your mind you have to visualize how it's going to work as an illustrated story, and maybe even look at the breaks in the story where the the illustrations are going to go, um, and how. The, the art is going to best serve the story and vice versa. Um, and I actually did that with a, a draft of the story after it was accepted for publication and wrote in some ideas for illustrations to give to the illustrator, April Chu, um, who had agreed to, to do the book. And I sent it to her and I sent it to the editor. And the editor said, you know, just let April have her her way with this. And when I talked to April about it later, she said, yeah, I never looked at that. Um, and the great thing was that when the book was, was finally illustrated with the f- first sketches, and I looked at what she had, had done, there was really only one illustration that was in any way different from what I had um, hoped she would do. Um, so it, I think it's a story that lent itself to certain kinds of illustrations. Um, and she saw that, I saw that, and... I would just have to say she did a phenomenal job, and I'm so fortunate that she agreed to do it and did such a great job. Yeah. How did you meet April? I met her at a party that was thrown by a children's author and publisher, and she invited a lot of other authors and illustrators. And I think I was the only person there on the publishing side, um, and a lot of people had their portfolios with them, and April did. And I took a look at her work, and it, it was really, really good. 
And when it was time to start looking for illustrators, the first person I, I spoke to actually was the uh, the trout artist Josh Udison, who I think if, if folks go to fly fishing shows, they probably run into Josh. What he specializes in is uh, painting people with fish that they've caught from their photographs. And he did a couple of um, sort of pieces on spec, and the publisher said, no, he's not involved in publishing, so he's not the right person. Um, and then I asked April if she would be interested, and I was really fortunate that she said that she would like to do it. Um, and it was just, you know, from that meeting at that party. That's neat. And how did you know that she was the right illustrator for your book? What I, I saw in her art was that she could do the three most important things that I wanted. She could do illustrations of nature that were realistic and artistic, um, but um, really were, were true to nature. Um, she could do illustrations of people that look good. I think there are a lot of people who don't necessarily do good nature and good people at the same time. And also her animals were phenomenal. She just had incredible illustrations of, of animals. And those were the three things, three things that really mattered to me. And I think the, the final work that she did really proved that she was the right person to do it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I think the, if I remember correctly, the style of the illustrations is they were, they were charcoal illustrations that were digitally colored. Exactly. And, um, you know, when I, I got those first sketches that she did, I just was so impressed. Um, and she actually shared with me the original sketches that she did and then the sort of fine illustrations, the, the drawings. And then she eventually sent me prints of the, uh, the final art that was colored. And it really blows me away that there is so much fine work that can be done with color in a computer. I guess I'm, I'm naive to, to not understand how complex and rich the work you can do with different illustrating programs can be in a computer, but it just, it really astonished me just the, the different levels of color and the texture and everything that she was able to achieve. It's really phenomenal. And was that decision to, to use that approach hers, or was that something that you kind of looked at several different things and and talked to to your publisher and kind of agreed on mutually? How did that process work? Um, it was her. It's her style. It's how she works. Um, she did work with our art director at Abrams, um, but I wasn't really privy to those conversations. Um, we had a, a great art director who worked with her, and I'm really pleased with with the guidance that he gave her. You know, one thing I would mention about the illustrations in the book for, for folks who have seen it or haven't seen it, when you, actually a couple of things, when you take the dust jacket off, the case cover of the book is um, a full illustration of a brown trout that goes from the, the front all the way to the back of the cover. It's just a, a really beautiful piece of art. And then when you open the book, both in the very front of the book and the back of the book, there are illustrations of nearly 80 unique flies. And the story behind that was I gave April 24 what I thought were sort of um, standard, important flies that every angler probably uses. And as she started working on those and doing the sketches, she came, became really fascinated with flies and bought you know, dozens more. And that's how she ended up with doing almost 80 of them. She actually did a little video of herself that she put on Instagram where she's holding up a fly and saying, flies are so amazing. 
And it's true. They are. They're really amazing. And I know that it's one of the favorite thing about the book for kids in particular, but adults really like it as well. Um, there's actually just a story on Instagram. Katie Watson, who's a great angler from British Columbia um, and a fan of the book, posted a story about reading the book to kids, um, going through the illustrations of the flies, and then sitting down with the kids and tying flies. And to me, that's just the greatest that... She's making practical use of the book, and the kids are really enjoying it and learning a lot about how to how to make flies. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I I remember looking at the um, at the inside jacket, and I was amazed. I remember I think seeing a tequila fly, and I was like, wow, I would have never thought to see an illustration of a tequila uh, on the inside uh, cover of a children's uh, book about fly fishing. She, yeah, she went deep. That's for sure. And kind of another place about talking about going deep, you know, you've got some really amazing testimonials. And I was wondering if you could share with us kind of the process you went through to get people like John Drack to um, to give you an endorsement for the book. And I think the bottom line is that I asked as many people as I could, um, either directly or um, used connections that I had in publishing or in the fly fishing world uh, to reach out to people. So John was a person who um, I reached out to through his publisher. Um, I have a good friend who works for them, and she got a copy to him. And, you know, it's sort of a a crapshoot whether you're going to hear back from somebody. And the day that I got an email back from John with just the most wonderful quote, it it just blew my mind. I just couldn't have been more thrilled. And I actually got to meet John at the fly fishing show in Denver and to thank him in person for the quote. And, you know, everybody knows he's kind of a gruff guy. And he said, hey, I like the book. If I hadn't liked it, I wouldn't have given you the quote. Um, But then there are people like James Prozac, um, who's such a wonderful trout artist. um, And I've sold several of his books over the years at various publishers and gotten to know him. Uh, Chris Santella, who does the 50 Places to Fly Fish book. I've gotten to know Chris and actually have fished with him. So those are some of the people I reached out to. The other thing was, there's an author who I worked with who kind of taught me how to reach out to people using LinkedIn, using social media, and basically that there's nothing wrong in, in asking somebody for um, a little bit of help. And the worst thing that can happen is somebody can say no. Um, and the great thing was that so many people were willing to take a look at the book and then were so generous um, in terms of sharing the book sometimes over and over and over in their social media. And that's really sort of the the thing that's made the book successful, the willingness of people with an audience to, to share the book and to share their enthusiasm for it. Yeah, it's amazing because I always tell people, I think, outdoors people, but I think fly fishermen in general are some of the most generous people on the planet in terms of what they're willing to share with other anglers and other people. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes it's the spot where they're fishing and sometimes it's the fly that they're using. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful to be part of that community for sure. And, and I know we mentioned earlier in the interview that, um, you know, it was a 10 plus year project to write down by the river, which kind of makes the the writing process a little bit different, but how do you like to write? Do you like to, when you decide to write, do you set up a set period of time every day or do you kind of nibble at it a little bit over time? How do you like to kind of get from the beginning to the end? Yeah. So I'm a fortunate person that I don't have to make a living writing books. 
you know, I have a, a great job, so I can sort of dip in and out of my writing. And what generally has happened with the stories I've written for kids, you know, two of which are unpublished and one of which has been published, is to sit down and, and write a story in a burst. And you know, generally a picture book for children, when you're writing it just without illustrations, it ends up being about three pages of text. Um, and then I like to come back and revisit it, um, do some um, revisions and um, show it to a few people, see what they think, revisit it a little bit more. And then these days now I can you know, send it directly to an editor and see if they're willing to take a look at it. Um, I think it's a really different process than a lot of writers go go through, especially if they're you know, truly professional writers who write books for a living and they do exactly what you're saying. They have a schedule. They have a process. Um, they have a, a certain time of day that they write. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with a writer like James Patterson, who's written millions and millions of books. No, not millions, but probably thousands. And I, I heard him talk once about his his process, and he actually doesn't even write all of his books. He, he has a team of writers who work with him, and he's very self-deprecating about it, how he sort of delegates some of the writing to other people. Um, but it's like a, a finely honed machine where he's got this time frame. He's got people who work with him. He does his writing. He does his promotion. He's about as professional as a writer as you can be, and I'm about as far from something like that as you can be. Yeah, that's interesting. I can remember, I guess, Stephen King a while back wrote a book about how he writes, and he was maybe not quite that of a well-oiled machine, um, but he was very disciplined about what he did every day, and he basically locked – I think he had a, a page number that he wanted to create every day, and he basically locked himself in a room, and if he was done at 11 in the morning, he was done. If he was done at 2 in the afternoon, he was done. Yeah, I think it's a great technique. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, we're really lucky uh, to have you on because, you know, you can help us understand kind of the behind-the-scenes process uh, for taking a manuscript from, you know, actually how to get a manus manuscript accepted by a publisher kind of all the way through to what has to happen to get it on a bookshelf. Sure. You know, first give yourself 15 years. and <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, I think there are so many people – in the fly fishing world who who do write and I think it's a great uh, literary tradition for fly fishing and, and I've actually gotten quite a few questions from people uh, about the process um, and there's a little bit of a difference if you're writing for kids and if you're writing for adults but the, the first most important thing which I've mentioned to some people is write you gotta write and if you feel a passion um, if you feel like you have a, a story to tell that's the most important thing to, to sit down and get that story on paper. Um, and again, take the time to revisit it and show it to your peers and show it to people who um, share a passion for what you're writing about. And then when you feel comfortable that you have something that at least is a good part of the way to where you want to end up with your book, um, that's when you need to start looking for a literary agent. And I think that most publishers are, are very, very um, firm in wanting manuscripts to come through literary agents. It's pretty unusual to, to hear a story about how a project came through what's called the slush pile, which is basically what it sounds like, just things that come in unsolicited and um, that 
maybe somebody gets a chance to look at and maybe it just sits in a pile for a year before somebody actually gets to, to see it. So there's a credibility that comes with working with a literary agent that's that's pretty important. Um, and there are websites and there are books that have lists of, of good literary agents, uh, whether they're local to where somebody lives or whether they're national or they're in New York or California. Um, and if you're a children's book writer, one of the great things to do is to uh, join an organization called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and the abbreviation of that is SCBWI, and there are local chapters and there are national chapters. And what's great about the organization is there's a lot of mentoring, there's a lot of feedback, um, and there's a lot of sharing of manuscripts. And it's the kind of feedback that I think is so critical to a writer to um, hear from other people who are doing the same thing that you're doing um, and to to get some critiques. And once that that's all done and an agent is willing to take it to a publisher, that's when the, the fun really begins. And I think the most important thing that I could share with any um, any author, anybody who wants to have a book published, is the importance of listening to your editor and being willing to make the kind of changes that an editor is suggesting to you. They have the experience of having books published and having books reviewed and um, having books be successful sellers. I think that's the most important thing. And they have insights that, um, you know, they're, they're a step away from the, the uh, intimacy that you feel with your book. And it feels like something so personal to you. And maybe you, you think you have the, the perfect story written and it's because it's so close to you. You need to be able to step away and, and listen to somebody's somebody else's ideas and criticisms. And I know that my book without the help of my editor, it really didn't have a chance to be published, and I'm so grateful for the feedback that she gave me. Um, I think it actually did make it into a book that was worthy of being published. It, and what would surprise the average reader the most about the process? You know, I think it goes back to that, that question about why did it take so long for my book to be published? And it's, you know, that long time frame that you have to allow um, for all of these things to happen because it can take years from the time that you write a story to have it accepted by a publisher. And then if it's you know, a children's book that's going to have pictures, it needs to be illustrated, it needs to be laid out, it needs to be printed. And it can be several years from the time a book is accepted, accepted to be published to the time it actually starts appearing in bookstores. Um, it's, it's that you have to have a ton of patience and uh, just keep working on other things while you're waiting for your book to come out. Go fishing, right? Go fishing a lot. And, and I know in terms of when you were promoting Down by the River that social media was a large part of your strategy, and I think you applied it in uh, in a different way than a lot of other uh, authors would. Can you share your approach with us? Absolutely. You know, a lot of it I learned from uh, an author named Jillian Zoe Siegel, who wrote a really terrific book called Getting There. Um, it's a book about working with uh, mentors and people who are tremendously successful but had failures in their life. And she was the, the greatest book promoter I've ever met. And the lesson that she taught me was you need to reach out to people. You need to be willing to ask several times. Um, 
and hopefully get a yes answer from somebody. Um, and, you know, the, the question that I was asking was, would you be willing to take a look at my book? Um, and that was primarily with the people on Instagram, some of the great um, angling personalities who have big followings on Instagram, and also reaching out to fly shops and reaching out to manufacturers and just spreading the word about the book. Um, I had a, web, a website set up, included the link in my inquiries. Um, publishers are, are very willing to send out free copies of books to do promotion. Um, I basically um, presented the idea of having a, a free copy sent um, so people could take a look at it. And if they enjoyed it and were willing to share it with their, their followers on Instagram or to carry it in their fly shop, you know, that was, that was basically what I was hoping they would do. And especially with the, the anglers on Instagram, it's been this incredible experience to, to, um, be the beneficiary of the, the generosity and, and the kindness of, of people who love the sport. Um, you know, some very high-profile anglers, people like April Vokey, who I think a lot of people know from her podcast and, and her writing and uh, her work as a guide and as an angler. Um, Kate Watson, who I mentioned before, who's uh, a great angler up in British Columbia. Uh, people all over uh, the United States and Canada who have been so incredibly creative in the things that they've shared about the book. Um, the, the book would not have sold, I don't think, 25% of what it sold without their help. Um, and what I've done lately, beyond the, the traditional uh, fly world and um, probably conservation and fly fishing nonprofits, I've begun, I've begun doing outreach to uh, environmental educators, which I think is a, a big market for the book as well sort of teaching kids um, the value and the beauty of the outdoors through fly fishing, which I think is the way that we're going to create the next generation of environmental stewards. Um, and if we get those kids involved and engaged to, to love the environment, they're the ones that we can count on to preserve and protect it for, for the future. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think sometimes we f we forget that we don't have to create uh, fly fishermen that are as passionate as we are to kind of have a win for the resource. Exactly. Um, and I know we mentioned a little bit earlier some of the organizations you were working with, like Casting for Recovery. Why don't you share with us in a little bit more detail kind of what you're doing with them and how they're using the book to um, sure. move their missions forward? Um. They're an organization that I've uh, sent some signed copies to. But beyond that, um, as I've been attending the, the fly fishing show, I went to three different locations, Denver, Linwood, Washington, and Pleasanton, California, and had um, been in touch and met several people from the organization. And I asked if they would be interested in my um, even sitting in their booth and helping them sign, uh, sell some copies, signed copies, that... Uh, would benefit the organization and basically the the cover price of the book is 17.99 and I was just having them uh cover my cost of the book which is about $8 and then we were uh suggesting to people at the shows that if they paid $20 or $25 um casting for recovery would receive everything above $8 so the minimum they were making was $10 per book and in some instances they were making 15 or $20 per book and at those shows 
I sold anywhere from 20 to 30 copies of the book with them. Um, so they were making several hundred dollars, um, which was just, it was a great feeling to be able to help them and to, to meet even more people who were working with the organization and people who um, are actually um, the target audience of, of Casting for Recovery, which is women who have survived breast cancer and women who still do have breast cancer. Um, just phenomenal, phenomenal people and a phenomenal or, phenomenal organization. Um, I don't know if people have had the opportunity to see some of the videos that Casting for Recovery has, has done, but if you see women um, fly fishing and enjoying the sport maybe for the first time and catching their first trout and the joy that they're feeling at a, a really difficult time in their lives, um, it's inspirational and, and really beautiful. And I, I just couldn't be happier to work with a, a, a great, greater organization than Casting for Recovery. Really great people. That's great. And, and if someone's listening that's a part of a similar organization or an outdoor education organization, and they think that Down by the River is, is a good vehicle for them to fundraise, um, how should they get in touch with you uh, to make that happen? You know, they can email me directly. Um, and I can, I'll can i tell you the email address, but I'll also email it to you so you can include it with this. But it's A-X-W-E-I-N-E-R, and the N is in Nancy, N-E-R, at PacBell, that's P-A-C-B-E-L-L dot net. And I would love to hear from organizations. I'm always happy to, to send copies for um, raffles. Anything I can do to help raise some funds for, for great organizations is, is something I want to do. Well, terrific. And I'll drop that in the show notes for sure. Um, and I know you had mentioned that you've got a couple other books you've been working on or some other projects you want to share with our listeners. Sure. Um, one that's a, a non-fly fishing story uh, is called Sadie, the Bookstore Dog, and it's S-A-D-I-E, Sadie, the Bookstore Dog. It's based on my dog, Sadie, who used to go to the bookstore that my wife worked at every day, and she became just a fixture in the store. And so I wrote a story about that, and it's being looked at by a publisher right now, and I'm hoping to get that published maybe next year. Um, and the other is a sequel to Down by the River, and I never really intended to write a sequel, but when I was at the Denver stop of the fly fishing show, several of the people who had promoted the book for me asked if I was thinking of writing one. And I said, I just don't have any, an idea for a second story. But when I came home from the show a few days later, something popped into my head. Um, and I sat down, as we talked about before, and I wrote that story. Um, and it won't be published by Abrams, who published the first book. Um, it's a long story with that that I won't go into. They're really happy with how Down by the River did, but they're not going to do any more books by employees. Um, but I do have a publisher who I believe believe is um, going to publish the book. Um, we're looking for an illustrator now. April probably won't do this book because she has such a, a full schedule going forward for the next few years. Um, so it wouldn't be until 2021 that she could even start illustrating my book. Um, and she understands if I end up using a, a different illustrator, despite the fact that she did such a, a great job on Down by the River. Um, I don't have a title for the new one yet, but basically it's the same family, and it's about how the main character's little sister is now interested in fly fishing. Um, and that was really inspired by the great women anglers who I've met over the last year and a half, um, 
who are so inspiring to me and who are inspiring lots of girls to get into the sport as well. So I wanted to write a story that sort of spoke to to that um, great group of anglers. Very neat. And I know we'd mentioned, I think, before we started recording uh, some of your upcoming appearances. Where can folks find you this summer uh, if they want to meet you, get a signed copy of Down by the River? The, the next event coming up is actually not until late July, but I'll be in uh, Bozeman and I'll be at the Fly Fishers International Expo and I'll be signing on both the Friday and the Saturday of the show. Uh, there are lots of other great authors who are going to be there as well. Um, the first signings that I did for Down by the River were actually at the Fly Fishing Expo in Albany, Oregon in March of last year. And then I got to go to the Boise show as well. Um, so I'm really looking forward to meeting folks at the, the Bozeman stop. Um, and the way that I'm going to do it is basically what I've been doing with Casting for Recovery, basically. Um, I'll pay myself back the, the $8 of my cost for the books, and then everything that um, is paid over that $8 will go to Casting for Recovery, some local nonprofits uh, like the Gallatin River Task Force, um, the Mayfly Project, and, and some other groups. So I hope to sell a bunch of copies and be able to turn over some, some nice money to those organizations. Well, that's fantastic. And speaking of that, where can folks find Down by the River? You know, a lot of bookstores around the country are carrying it. Um, it actually was in Costco for a little while. It's not there anymore, but they sold it pretty nicely. Um, of course, online, Amazon.com, and, and basically any website, even like Walmart and Target.com, they list the book and they will be able to get it for you. Um, a lot of fly shops are carrying the book. Um, and I, I really hope folks will support their local fly shops or fly shops that they visit when they're out traveling um, and buy both you know, fly tackle but books as well. Any store that doesn't have it, it's a pretty easy process for them to, to get it for, for a consumer. Bookstores can order it from distributors and have it within a few days. Fly shops have distributors that they work with as well. Um, so if a shop carries books, they can have it within probably a week or so. That's fantastic, and I'll also I'll drop a link to it in the show notes as well. And before we uh, part ways this evening, you want to tell folks where they can uh, find the book's website and how they can contact you? Mm-hmm. Um, the web address is www.downbytheriverbook.com. So it's just the name of the book with the word book at the end of it, .com. And on the, that page, um, there are some sample illustrations. There are some of the endorsements of the book, um, links to places where you can buy it. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that's about all that's on the, on the page. But basically, if you go to any website that sells books and you put in Down by the River, um, you should be able to find it. Fantastic. Well, Andy, I really appreciate you spending some time with us this evening. Well, Marvin, I truly appreciate it. It's been really great talking to you. It's been a lot of fun. And folks, if you enjoyed this episode, if you'd give us a review in iTunes and subscribe in the podcatcher of your choice, I'd really appreciate it. And thanks again to our tonight's sponsor, the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival. Tight lines, everybody. Take care, Andy. Thank you.